At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Tim Seymour will join us in just moments. Tonight on Fast, Big Cat Farmer catches the flu. Stocks like Eli Lilly, Merck, and J&J feeling under the weather today. Is the pullback a perfect time to get in? Plus, Peloton popping, the stock climbing nearly 10% as a bike maker rides into Lulu's lane. We'll bring you the details. And we are all over the after-hours action and shares of a firm. The payment stock is surging on earnings. We've got the latest from its quarter. We start off with liftoff for the airline. Shares of United, Southwest, JetBlue, and American all taking flight even as the company slash guidance due to the Delta variant. Let's get the very latest with Phil LeBeau. Phil. Melissa, I think the stocks were up today because the guidance that we heard from the airline executives today presenting at a Cowan and Company conference, a conference they weren't surprising. In fact, when you look at the airline index, what we've seen from all the airlines was a trim of their guidance for the third quarter. It was not a big cut. It was essentially what we all expected because we're seeing traffic that is slowing down. If you take a look at the airline passenger levels, they clearly ticked lower in the second half of August. It is expected that we're going to see that continue. And if we get past this Labor Day bump that you see a little bit higher there, you're going to see move down for the remainder of the month and then into October. Specific airline stocks, let's start first off with Southwest and American. Southwest saying its September revenue down 25 to 30 percent. It previously was expecting it to be down anywhere from 15 to 25 percent. American, its Q3 revenue is going to be down 24 to 28 percent. Previously, it was expecting it to be down 20 percent. So you see you're seeing Biden making remarks at the White House. Let's listen in. About where we are in the battle against COVID-19, the progress we've made and the work we have left to do. And it starts with understanding this. Even as the Delta variant 19 has COVID-19 has been hitting this country hard, we have the tools to combat the virus. If we can come together as a country and use those tools, if we raise our vaccination rate, protect ourselves and others with masking, expanded testing and identify people who are infected, we can and we will turn the tide on COVID-19. It'll take a lot of hard work. It's going to take some time. Many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated, even though the vaccine is safe, effective and free. You might be confused about what is true and what is false about COVID-19. So before I outline the new steps to fight COVID-19 that I'm going to be announcing tonight, let me give you some clear information about where we stand. First, we have considered we've made considerable progress in battling COVID-19. When I became president, about two million Americans were fully vaccinated. Today, over 175 million Americans have that protection. Before I took office, we hadn't ordered enough vaccine for every American. Just weeks in office, we did. 
The week before I took office on January 20th of this year, over 25,000 Americans died that week from COVID-19. Last week, that grim weekly toll was down 70 percent. And then three months before I took office, our economy was faltering, creating just 50,000 jobs a month. We're now averaging 700,000 new jobs a month in the past three months. This progress is real. But while America is much better shaped than it was seven months ago when I took office, I need to tell you a second fact. We're in the tough stretch and it could last for a while. Highly contagious Delta variant that I began to warn America about back in July spread late summer like it did in other countries before us. While the vaccines provide strong protection for the vaccinated, we read about and hear about and we see the stories of hospitalized people, people on their deathbeds among the unvaccinated over the past few weeks. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And it's caused by the fact that despite America having unprecedented and successful vaccination program, despite the fact that for almost five months, free vaccines have been available in 80,000 different locations, we still have nearly 80 million Americans who have failed to get the shot. And to make matters worse, there are elected officials actively working to undermine the fight against COVID-19. Instead of encouraging people to get vaccinated and mask up, they're ordering mobile morgues for the unvaccinated dying from COVID in their communities. This is totally unacceptable. Third, if you wonder how all this adds up, here's the math. The vast majority of Americans are doing the right thing. Nearly three quarters of the eligible have gotten at least one shot. But one quarter has not gotten any. That's nearly 80 million Americans not vaccinated. And a country as large as ours, that's 25 percent minority. That 25 percent can cause a lot of damage, and they are. The unvaccinated overcrowd our hospitals or overrunning emergency rooms and intensive care units, leaving no room for someone with a heart attack or pancreatitis or cancer. And fourth, I want to emphasize that the vaccines provide very strong protection from severe illness from COVID-19. I know there's a lot of confusion and misinformation, but the world's leading scientists confirm that if you are fully vaccinated, your risk of severe illness from COVID-19 is very low. In fact, based on available data from the summer, only one out of every 160,000 fully vaccinated Americans was hospitalized for COVID per day. These are the facts. So here's where we stand. The path ahead, even with the Delta variant, is not nearly as bad as last winter. But what makes it incredibly more frustrating is that we have the tools to combat COVID-19 and a distinct minority of Americans supported by a stink minority of elected officials, are keeping us from turning the corner. These pandemic politics, as I refer to, are, are, make, are making people sick, causing unvaccinated people to die. We cannot allow these actions to stand in the way of protecting the large majority of Americans
who have done their part and want to get back to life as normal. As your president, I'm announcing tonight a new plan to require more Americans to be vaccinated to combat those blocking public health. My plan also increases testing, protects our economy, and will make our kids safer in schools. It consists of six broad areas of action and many specific measures in each that in each of those actions you can read more about in whitehouse.gov. Whitehouse.gov. The measures, these are going to take time to have full impact. But if we implement them, I believe and the scientists indicate that the months ahead, we can reduce the number of unvaccinated Americans, decrease hospitalizations and deaths, and allow our children to go to school safely and keep our economy strong by keeping businesses open. First, we must increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new vaccination requirements. With nearly 80 million eligible Americans who have not gotten vaccinated, Many said they were waiting for approval from the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Well, last month, the FDA granted that approval. So the time for waiting is over. This summer, we made progress through the combination of vaccine requirements and incentives, as well as the FDA approval. Four million more people got their first shot in August than they did in July. But we need to do more. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you, the people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. Some of the biggest companies are already requiring this. United Airlines, Disney, Tyson's Food, and even Fox News. The bottom line, we're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. We're going to reduce the spread of COVID-19 by increasing the share of the workforce that is vaccinated in businesses all across America. My plan will extend the vaccination requirements that I previously issued in the healthcare field. Already, I've announced we'll be requiring vaccinations at all nursing home workers who treat patients on Medicare and Medicaid because I have that federal authority. Tonight, I'm using that same authority to expand that to cover those who work in hospitals, home health care facilities, or other medical facilities. A total of 17 million health care workers. If you're seeking care at a health facility, you should be able to know that the people treating you are vaccinated. Simple, straightforward, period. Next, I will sign an executive order that will now require all executive branch federal employees to be vaccinated, all. And I've signed another executive order that will require federal contractors to do the same. If you want to work with the federal government and do business with us, get vaccinated. 
If you want to do business with the federal government, vaccinate your workforce. And tonight, I'm removing one of the last remaining obstacles that make it difficult for you to get vaccinated. The Department of Labor will require employers with 100 or more workers to give those workers paid time off to get vaccinated. No one should lose pay in order to get vaccinated or take a loved one to get vaccinated. Today, in total, the vaccine requirements in my plan will affect about 100 million Americans, two-thirds of all workers. And for other sectors, I issue this appeal to those of you running large entertainment venues, from sports arenas to concert venues to movie theaters, Please require folks to get vaccinated or show a negative test as a condition of entry. And to the nation's family physicians, pediatricians, GPs, general practitioners, you're the most trusted medical voice to your patients. You may be the one person who can get someone to change their mind about being vaccinated. Tonight, I'm asking each of you to reach out to your unvaccinated patients over the next two weeks and make a personal appeal to them to get the shot. America needs your personal involvement in this critical effort. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. So please do the right thing. But just don't take it from me. Listen to the voices of unvaccinated Americans who are lying in hospital beds, taking their final breath, saying, if only I'd gotten vaccinated. If only. It's a tragedy. Please don't let it become yours. The second piece of my plan is continuing to protect the vaccinated. For the vast majority of you who have gotten vaccinated, I understand your anger at those who haven't gotten vaccinated. I understand the anxiety about getting a breakthrough case. But as the science makes clear, If you're fully vaccinated, you're highly protected from severe illness, even if you get COVID-19. In fact, recent data indicates there is only one confirmed positive case per 5,000 fully vaccinated Americans per day. You're as safe as possible, and we're doing everything we can to keep it that way. Keep it that way. Keep you safe. That's where boosters come in. The shots that give you even more protection than after your second shot. Now, I know there's been some confusion about boosters, so let me be clear. Last month, our top government doctors announced an initial plan for booster shots for vaccinated Americans. They believe that a booster is likely to provide the highest level of protection yet. Of course, the decision of which booster shots to give, when to start them, and who will give them, will be left completely to the scientists at the FDA and the Centers for Disease Control. 
But while we wait, we've done our part. We bought enough boosters, enough booster shots, and the distribution system is ready to administer them. As soon as they are authorized, those eligible will be able to get a booster right away in tens of thousands of sites across the sites across the country for most Americans at your nearby drugstore and for free. The third piece of my plan is keeping, and maybe the most important, is keeping our children safe and our schools open. For any parent, it doesn't matter how low the risk of any illness or accident is when it comes to your child or grandchild. Trust me, I know. So, let me speak to you directly. Let me speak to you directly to help ease some of your worries. It comes down to two separate categories. Children ages 12 and older who are eligible for a vaccine now, and children ages 11 and under who are not yet eligible. The safest thing for your child 12 and older is to get them vaccinated. They get vaccinated for a lot of things. That's it. Get them vaccinated. As with adults, almost all the serious COVID-19 cases we're seeing among adolescents are in unvaccinated 12 to 17-year-olds, an age group that lags behind in vaccination rates. So parents, please get your teenager vaccinated. What about children under the age of 12 who can't get vaccinated yet? Well, the best way for a parent to protect their child under the age of 12 starts at home. Every parent, every teen sibling, every caregiver around them should be vaccinated. Children have four times higher chance of getting hospitalized if they live in a state with low vaccination rates rather than states with high vaccination rates. Now, if you're a parent of a young child, you're wondering, when will it be, when will it be the vaccine available for them? I strongly support independent scientific review for vaccine uses for children under 12. We can't take shortcuts with that scientific work. But I've made it clear I will do everything within my power to support the FDA with any resource it needs to continue to do this as safely and as quickly as possible. And our nation's top doctors are committed to keeping the public at large updated on the process so parents can plan. Now to the schools. We know that if schools follow the science and implement the safety measures like testing, masking, adequate ventilation systems would be provided the money for, social distancing, and vaccinations, then children can be safe from COVID-19 in schools. Today, about 90% of school staffs and teachers are vaccinated. We should get that to 100%. My administration has already acquired teachers at the schools run by the Defense Department because I have the authority as president of the federal system, the Defense Department and the Interior Department, to get vaccinated. That's authority I possess. Tonight, I'm announcing that we'll require all of nearly 300,000 educators in the federal HEP paid program, Head Start program, must be vaccinated as well to protect your youngest our youngest, most precious Americans, and give parents the comfort. And tonight, I'm calling on all governors to require vaccination for all teachers and staff. Some already have done so. 
but we need more to step up. Vaccination requirements in schools are nothing new. They work. They're overwhelmingly supported by educators and their unions. And all school officials trying to do the right thing by our children. I'll always be on your side. Let me be blunt. My plan also takes on elected officials and states that are undermining you and these life-saving actions. Right now, local school officials are trying to keep children safe in a pandemic while their governor picks a fight with them and even threatens their salaries or their jobs. Talk about bullying in schools. If they'll not help, if these governors won't help us beat the pandemic, I'll use my power as president to get them out of the way. The Department of Education has already begun to take legal action against states undermining protection that local school officials have ordered. Any teacher or school official whose pay is withheld for doing the right thing, we will have that pay restored by the federal government 100%. I promise you, I will have your back. The fourth piece of my plan is increasing testing and masking. From the start, America has failed to do enough COVID-19 testing. In order to better detect and control the Delta variant, I'm taking steps tonight to make testing more available, more affordable, and more convenient. I'll use the Defense Production Act to increase production of rapid tests, including those that you can use at home. While that production is ramping up, my administration has worked with top retailers like Walmart, Amazon, and Kroger's. And tonight, we're announcing that no later than next week, each of these outlets will start to sell at-home rapid test kits at cost for the next three months. This immediate price reduction for at-home test kits for up to 35% reduction. We'll also expand expand free testing at 10,000 pharmacies around the country. And we'll commit, we're committing $2 billion to purchase nearly 300 million rapid tests for distribution to community health centers, food banks, schools, so that every American, no matter their income, can access free and convenient tests. This is important to everyone particularly for a parent or a child with a child not old enough to be vaccinated. You'll be able to test them at home and test those around them. In addition to testing, we know masking helps stop the spread of COVID-19. That's why when I came into office, I required masks for all federal buildings and on federal lands, on airlines and other modes of transportation. Today, Tonight, I'm announcing that the Transportation Safety Administration, the TSA, will double the fines on travelers that refuse to mask. If you break the rules, be prepared to pay. And by the way, show some respect. The anger you see on television toward flight attendants and others doing their job is wrong. It's ugly. The fifth piece of my plan is protecting our economic recovery. Because of our vaccination program 
and the American Rescue Plan, which we passed thoroughly in my administration. We've had record job creation for a new administration. Economic growth unmatched in 40 years. We cannot let unvaccinated do this progress, undo it, turn it back. So tonight, I'm announcing additional steps to strengthen our economic recovery. We'll be expanding COVID-19 economic injury disaster loan programs. That's a program that's going to allow small businesses to borrow up to $2 million from the current 500000 to keep going if COVID-19 impacts on their sales. These low-interest long-term loans require no repayment for two years and we can use to hire and retain workers, purchase inventory, or even pay down higher-cost debt racked up since the pandemic began. I'll also be taking additional steps to help small businesses stay afloat during the pandemic. Sixth, we're going to continue to improve the care of those who do get COVID-19. In early July, I announced the deployment of surge response teams. These are teams comprised of experts from the Department of Health and Human Services, the CDC, the Defense Department, and the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to areas in the country that need help to stem the spread of COVID-19. Since then, the federal government has deployed nearly 1,000 staff, including doctors, nurses, paramedics, into 18 states. Today, I'm announcing that the Defense Department will double the number of military health teams that they'll deploy to help their fellow Americans in hospitals around the country. Additionally, we're increasing the availability of new medicines recommended by real doctors, not conspiracy theorists. The monoclonal antibody treatments have been shown to reduce the risk of hospitalization by up to 70 percent for unvaccinated people at risk of developing severe disease. We've already distributed 1.4 million courses of these treatments to save lives and reduce the strain on hospitals. Tonight, I'm announcing we will increase the average pace of shipment across the country of free monoclonal antibody treatments by another 50 percent. Before I close, let me say this. Communities of color are disproportionately impacted by this virus. And as we continue to battle COVID-19, we will ensure that equity continues to be at the center of our response. We'll ensure that everyone is reached. My first responsibility as president is to protect the American people and make sure we have enough vaccine for every American, including enough boosters for every American who's approved to get one. We also know this virus transcends borders. That's why even as we execute this plan at home, we need to continue fighting the virus overseas, continue to be the arsenal of vaccines. We're proud to have donated nearly 140 million vaccines over 90 countries, more than all other countries combined, including Europe, China and Russia combined. That's American leadership on a global stage. And that's just the beginning. We've also now started to ship another 500 million COVID vaccines, Pfizer vaccines, purchased to donate to 100 lower-income countries in need of vaccines. 
And I'll be announcing additional steps to help the rest of the world later this month. As I recently released uh, the key parts of my pandemic preparedness plan so that America isn't caught flat-footed with a new pandemic comes again, as it will, next month, I'm also going to release a plan in greater detail. So let me close with this. We have so we've made so much progress during the past seven months of this pandemic. The recent increases in vaccinations in August already are having an impact in some states where case counts are dropping in recent days. Even so, we remain at a critical moment, a critical time. We have the tools. Now we just have to finish the job with truth, with science, with confidence, and together as one nation. Look, we're the United States of America. There's nothing, not a single thing we're unable to do if we do it together. So let's stay together. God bless you all and all those who continue to serve on the front lines of this pandemic. And may God protect our troops. Get vaccinated. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. We've been listening to President Biden outlining his multifaceted plan to further combat the spread of the Delta variant, uh, everything from leaning on the Department of Labor to effectively enact vaccine mandates to uh, at-cost, at-home testing. Let's get to Eamon Javers, who has a full wrap for us. Eamon. A clearly frustrated President Biden there, Melissa. He's talking directly to the unvaccinated Americans, and he said, look, we've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. This is a president who's now determined to use all the levers of federal power to push that number of unvaccinated Americans way down. He says that's what's allowing this uh, Delta variant to continue to spread, to continue to impact the economy, and to threaten the idea of children being able to go back to school safely. So to do that, as you say, he's going to roll out the Department 
Department of Labor. That's a big piece of this. They're going to go through OSHA here uh, and force every company of over 100 employees to either make sure that their workforce is vaccinated or tested regularly. That's an enormous number of people in this country who are going to be impacted by that. It's going to affect a lot of businesses, and you can expect that a lot of private sector muscle is now going to be put behind that effort. The other big piece of this, Melissa, is the idea that health care workers will have to be vaccinated if their employers, the hospitals and health care outlets that they work for, are going to take Medicare and Medicaid funds from the federal government. That is another big stick that the federal government has here, which is to say you can't get these funds uh, if your health care workers are not vaccinated and you're not doing everything you can to get that workforce uh, healthy. So two enormous levers right there and then a host of other items uh, throughout here, this announcement the president's laying out today as he tries to get that number of unvaccinated Americans down, uh, the economy and schools uh, back on track, Melissa. Yeah, it's 80 million employees total who would have to be vaccinated or tested weekly. So that is an enormous number of people. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers uh, from Washington Force. We've got some breaking news meantime out of the Fed. Let's get straight to Steve Leisman, who joins us on the fast line. Steve. Melissa, thank you. Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren announcing uh, individually here that he will sell all the individual stocks he owns by September 30th, 30th and reinvest the proceeds into diversified index funds or cash savings. Uh, he says he will not trade in accounts while he's ser- in those accounts while serving as Fed president of Boston. He says the investment decisions he made last year were permissible under the Fed ethics rules, but he's addressing this issue to avoid any appearance of conflict. Obviously, this story uh, comes after uh, disclosures that Robert Kaplan, the Dallas Fed president, was involved in pardon me, multiple uh, trades in excess of a million dollars over the course of 2020. And uh, Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren also involved in a series of trades uh, involving uh, a whole matter of of, of stocks, uh, Dow, Alibaba, it looks like, uh, AT&T. He owned a bunch of residential uh, mortgage companies and other mortgage companies, uh, Verizon. Most of his trades, however, are much smaller than Robert Kaplan's all listed between 1000 and 50000 But there were at least, I'm looking at the form now, uh, 50 purchases and sales of stocks during the year. 50 transactions during one year. Um, Steve, I'm just curious. You, you interview Fed officials all the time, and, and during the Jackson Hole Symposium, you talk to all of them. Did it ever occur to you to ask them what they held in their portfolio and what they trade? Uh, they come out as uh, uh, disclosures every year in, in the forums, Melissa, and it's not something we often uh, ask them about. It becomes a, a matter more, more we talk about policy and the economy, but uh, it appears that uh, they have been doing quite a bit of trading, and it's now, I think, an issue. Yeah, certainly is. Steve, thanks so much. Steve Leisman. I asked that question of Steve sort of tongue-in-cheek because we always ask about the taper yeah. timeline, et cetera, and those things are keys to the kingdom in some sense, Tim, when it comes to trading stocks, particularly some of the stocks that they are trading in, like an Alibaba, like the tech stocks, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, and how about, you know, real estate or interest rate sensitive stuff? I mean, you know, if you're a Fed official, you're going to tell me you don't have an insight into where we are going in interest rate sensitivity. Um, the real cynics would say, um, if he's now going to go to cash, it's time to see the Fed get a lot more aggressive and everyone else should be very concerned. I'm not saying that that's what's going on. But if I hear a Fed official saying, I'll go to cash right now, um, again, uh, I, I think this is a function of him saying, I'll do whatever is the, uh, what's the most appropriate thing. But he's acknowledging um, what has come out in the last 
48 hours, and we talked about this on Tuesday evening. And I, I think I think we would all agree that a lot of different uh, federal officials and even the members of, of Congress that have so much insight into policy that will move stocks top down or bottom up need to be regulated. And the irony is, of course, that uh, individuals are, are regulated that much more without that kind of information. I'm really curious as to when these rules were put in place because the world has changed with quantitative easing, Guy, and with the flow of information that we we have at our fingertips at any one moment that impacts stocks on a second-to-second basis. Um, it could be a case that the rules just haven't caught up with where we are in time. Yeah, it could be. But, you know, rules notwithstanding, these guys and gals, and again, just my opinion, they should have been smart enough to understand the optics around this are just awful. And we talked about it Tuesday night. And by the way, I'd like to think, you know, in some small part, you know, some single digit percentage, maybe the things we've talked about over the last two days uh, help spur this on. So he's the first. I'm definitely sure he's not going to be the last. And it should filter its way into the members of Congress as well, because, you know, people at home get agitated, exercised, mad, angry, whatever word you want to use. And you understand why they do. They look at this and they say, the game is rigged. Uh, it's, the, it's the big guys, the guys and gals that have all the knowledge and the power positions that benefit the most. And whether that's true or not doesn't matter. That's what it looks like. So I guess at some level, good for him for making this announcement. Yeah, and you brought that up when we were talking to Sheila Bear yesterday. I mean, when you're talking about leveling the playing field and the perception that the playing field is not level in the first place, Karen, this really adds fuel to the fire. If you say these these guys have inside information in some way, whether or not this is true, have inside information, have some sort of inside you know, direction as to where things are headed, the system is going, and we're the little guy left on the sideline. Yeah, I think it. the little guy should be upset about it because they do have access to this information. They And they, they make this information. Not only do they know what it's going to be, they help craft it, right? So that I think he's doing the right thing. I don't think there's necessarily anything to read into that there was anything inappropriate. I also think he's doing the right thing by going into ETFs, which it sounded like what was going to happen, not just going into cash, because that may send a signal that is warranted or not, as Tim brought up. I don't know. So he's doing the right thing. They're trying to get ahead of it. But I think for, for Congress, it's more important, right? I, I just, the idea that there isn't any kind of regulation on trading there is, that's kind of surprising to me. So And, and the idea for, that they, they represent the, the people, Congress represents yeah. the people, and yet they can have they can have a you know a committee hearing on something that could directly impact a stock or sector, and still be able to to, to trade in those shares. Um, Dan, I don't know about you. I hope that every Fed official that has holdings, even if it is above board, and it's all above board, that they divest. Yeah. So let me tell you who will. The Fed officials will do it. The congressional people, both parties, will not. They make their own rules, and this is a rule that they seem to be pretty happy about. And if they were concerned with the optics that Karen and and uh, Guy and uh, Tim just mentioned, then they would do it themselves, but they probably are not going to do that. And I think I made the point the other night that if you work at a large financial institution or many different institutions that have a fiduciary responsibility to stakeholders in one way, you have so many restrictions on how you can trade and what you can trade and holding periods and that sort of thing, it makes absolutely no sense. I'm less concerned about the Fed. I just think there's a few players there. I think it's Congress is a bigger issue and the senators. And we saw some of those senators 
senators from Georgia and some of the trading they were doing, and even, you know, related to Pelosi and, and some of her family members. It all just seems a bit goofy to me. Yeah. Um, Steve is actually back on the phone. He's got more on the story. Steve? Yeah. Uh, who is it who was just saying that others will follow suit? Uh, we just got a statement from the Dallas Federal Reserve saying that Fed President, uh, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan will divest himself of his individual stocks. Uh, so all of his stocks, I'm reading this now right now live, uh, that he owns by September 30th, reinvest the proceeds in diversified index funds or cash savings. Uh, this very much is reading like Rosengren's uh, release as well. Further, there will be no trading in these accounts as long as I'm serving as president of the Dallas Fed. So it appears as if uh, now two people have followed suit with the, pretty much the same language and adopting what appears to be a new policy for Fed presidents not to own individual stocks and not to trade while they're uh, uh, sitting in their positions as Fed presidents, the bank presidents. Two, two Fed presidents down. How many more to go, Steve? Uh, let's see. There are 12 <laughs> Fed bank presidents uh, just yeah. by way of uh, Arcana. The Federal Reserve governors are governed by the U.S. Office of Government Ethics. They file disclosures separately, and their uh, trades are, are um, uh, reviewed by the U.S. by that by that office. Um, they have other disclosures. I've looked at nearly all of them. Most of these guys have most of their funds in uh, in index funds and other sort of some private uh, equity investments. But uh, Kaplan uh, was the leader in terms of number of individual stocks he owned. Uh, Rosengren also uh, had, had a lot. But Kaplan, of course, has a fortune. Uh, given his uh, tenure as vice chairman of Goldman Sachs, that is, I believe, way larger than all of the other uh, Fed bank presidents and governors. Yeah, his, his position sizes were, were quite sizable as well. Um, Steve, thanks so much for bringing us the latest on this story, Guy. It seems like um, maybe this is just going to happen on its own without rule changes, but it would be nice to see rule changes. <laughs> No, would listen, I don't, yes, it would be great to see rule changes. And Dan's 100% right. I mean, it should f- make its way. By the way, I thought there were rules governing, con- I guess I was wrong. I mean, maybe I missed that day at college. But, you know, it's comical to think that that goes on. And, and actually, that's the wrong word. It's really upsetting to think that get, that goes on when there are a lot of people trying to do things the right way. So, yes, I just said it 10 minutes ago. He's the first. He won't be the last. Well, that proved to be somewhat prescient, although not that... Uh, groundbreaking, but now it's just got to filter its way through the government because, again, when people see this, read it, hear it, they just like, you know what, this game is rigged, and you understand, again, why people get so agitated. All right, we'll continue to follow this. Meantime, we'll be right back. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at Chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Big Pharma with some big losses. Lilly, J&J, Pfizer, AbbVie, Merck all falling in today's session. Uh, Karen, you flagged this underperformance earlier today. What do you make of it? So I wasn't sure what to make of it till I realized it was uh, the Biden administration's plan to negotiate drug prices for Medicare. I mean, um, this has been something that has been around for, I don't know how many years, maybe it was during the Bush administration where they were not allowed to negotiate. So it's been hard to get that passed, but you could see why that would be a negative for 
the big cap pharma industry. I think that that just just on our last segment about you know uh, would it shock me at all if Congress were trading on the, any any Congress. Uh, any representative senators were, were trading on this? No, it wouldn't. I think maybe that's been why pharma's been weak the last couple of days. I'm still long. I think this will read uh, probably not well in the next couple of days. But uh, remember, the lobbying effort of Big Cap Pharma is something quite powerful. So I think we'll see some pushback. Yeah, I mean, the effort by the Biden administration to further cut prescription uh, drug prices, Tim, could be weighing. We did see a nice pop in shares of Moderna on the back of the vaccine mandate. Yeah, it was it was a good day for Moderna. It's certainly been you know a, a relatively strong run for big cap pharma, um, not just not just Pfizer. I mean, if you look at the IHE, the iShares uh, Pharma Index or ETF, it's you know it's been on a very strong run. I mean, if if I'm thinking how to be best diversified within this group. I, I love Johnson & Johnson, again, because you've got a pharma play, you've got a medical devices element, you've got a consumer products element, uh, and a company that I think in all of those areas has had some difficult uh, you know, obstacles to overcome in the last couple of years. We could drill into each one of those, but um, largely seems to be on the right path. And I think if you look at that chart, um, it's really near the bottom of a range. So I, I like J&J. I think it's a, a very well diversified company trading somewhere in line with its is its long-term average, but, you know, therefore at a bit of a discount to the market. Dan, how are you feeling about pharma? Yeah, I think you go, I, whoever just mentioned Moderna, I think you do the same in Pfizer. And Pfizer had that huge run from late July from about $40 to maybe 52 just a few weeks ago. It's come in now, it's trading there 46 If you see this thing back near the breakout, I don't think it's too much further than here. Maybe it's 44 bucks. I, I think these boosters are going to be here to stay. And, and yeah, there was some tough talk about pricing and you're talking about, um, you know, at cost and all that sort of thing. But to me, I, I think Pfizer is probably a reload on a retest of that breakout level. Yeah. Guy, what's it out to you today in pharma? It's in, well, I mean, it's actually been a difficult week. On Tuesday, it was Morgan Stanley downgraded J&J, Merck, I want to say Amgen as well. Then you had the Biogen news today, which obviously didn't help Eli Lilly. I mean, a lot of things going on. Karen mentioned the Biden administration. So what sticks out to me? Well, first and foremost, it's a move in Biogen, which when, we, when the news, the positive news came out a few months ago, Traded over 400. We talked about taking profits. But with that said, I didn't think we'd get this low on the sell-off. Um, but I'm with Tim on J&J. You know, they're a diversified pharmaceutical company with a reasonable valuation. I think Eli Lilly will find its footing. And I sort of feel bad about Moderna. You know, we had the analyst on about a month, month and a half ago. I, I recall the, the price target was 115. What we said was, you know, the stock could get down to 330. You buy it with both hands. We got close. I think 354 on August 16th. Now it's off to the races again. So I'm with Dan and Tim on the Moderna front. All right. Coming up, Peloton popping today. The headline that added nearly 10 percent to this stock, plus the big money and a big deal with the NFL. As we count down to kickoff, the CEO of Reach TV is with us. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Peloton topping the tape. The bike maker looking to gain market share in the athleisure space with a new private label apparel brand. Shares rallying nearly 10% today on the news. Now earning the Century Ride t-shirt guy is a big deal, but maybe now you can buy one. <laughs> if actually, I mean, I will say this, and this is a come off as bougie as can be, but Peloton actually sent me some really cool gear a while back. 
<laughs> does uh, sound because I actually do said. ride their bikes. No, look, I mean, it's just another vertical. The problem here is valuation. Obviously, last quarter was not great. You saw the sell-off. I mean, to me, the stock is in no man's land. I'd rather it sell off and retest that $90 level um, before you sort of foray into it now. So, I think, again, no man's land here. I'd wait for a pullback in the name. I mean, is selling some leggings and, and shirts, Karen, worth 10% on the stock, in your view? No, not in my view. I had actually thought, didn't they have a Peloton, a, I'm sorry, a Lulu uh, collaboration on some of their activewear? Uh, I thought that was the case some time ago. It's not a crazy product extension, so I get it, um, but that's, that's a nice pop. I don't know. Maybe it's Delta variant and more people staying home. I don't know. Yeah. But Tim, I'm not gonna, long here either. You're going to be first in line for uh, some bike shorts? <laughs> Look, uh, I, first of all, no, no, I, I don't think anyone should be seen in bike shorts. I'll put it that way. Um, and, but speaking of the bike, I, I know that Guy's a big Emma Lovewell fan and probably wants to wear whatever she has. So I, I do think I think this is genius. Look, they're creating they've created personalities. They there's a cult following. There is a sense that they are tastemakers and, and defining culture. So I, I, I why wouldn't they get into this space? I think they've got a, an engaged audience and there's a loyal group. And, and I think a lot of these instructors, frankly, have changed people's lives. Why wouldn't they want to dress? And they certainly want to look like them. So yeah, I, I think it's great. I, I hate the valuation on the stock. I think uh, the pull forward is certainly something that uh, uh, we've seen. I, I, I believe what I'm hearing with the other panelists here, that um, this isn't enough to change the story right now. But I think it's a great direction for them. All right. Let's move on to Reach TV. Scoring a first ever deal with the NFL to air live games on its 2,500 TV screens at more than 85 airports nationwide. It comes just in time for tonight's kickoff game. Joining us now is Linwood Bibbins, the co-founder and CEO of Reach TV. Linwood, this is long in the making, wasn't it? Many years. Uh, we've been working on this for the last couple of years, but intensely since uh, we acquired CNN Airport in uh, as of April 1st. So it's been an intense going back and forth with the NFL. Uh, they've been great to work with. Uh, I think we wanted to just make sure that we got the passengers, viewers, travelers, what they want to see on Thursday, Sunday at 1, Sunday at 4, Sunday night, and Monday night. That's a lot of football, Linwood. How does this help your business specifically? <laughs> um, yeah, it, the deal, one of the things about this deal that's unique is that we're the one network that's carrying all of the games. Um, so it gives us an opportunity to talk to travelers on, their, on all of those days and gives us a vast amount of games throughout the regular season. And then it also includes playoffs and the Super Bowl. Tim, you got a question? Hey, Linwood, it's Tim. I'm sorry. Hey, Tim. Yeah. So, Linwood, uh, talk, talk about the engagement uh, of, of you know, what the NFL sees uh, in the out-of-home and particularly the airports and, and why that's actually something that is that much more desirable for them and, you know, for other folks and certainly for the advertisers, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about 2 million people a day going through the airports and you think about the people and the demographic that goes to the airport, it's important that the NFL doesn't miss that, that audience. That audience doesn't miss an NFL game. And even no matter what you're doing on your mobile device, when you're watching a game, everybody wants the biggest screen possible. And when you have 55 to 75 inch screens throughout the airports and we're at the gates, the bars, everywhere, it, it, it makes a difference, it makes an impact. And I think the NFL wants to make sure that their, their, their fans get to see their game no matter where they are. Linwood, great to speak with you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. 
Let's try this. Dan Nathan, certainly a, it's an area that we don't talk about often, but this is a captive audience. If you're waiting for a plane, you're waiting for a plane. You got nothing else to do. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes a lot of sense there. And I think that, you know, he was talking about that audience and that demographic, and it really is about advertising, right? And if you're seeing streaming and, and paid for services uh, increasingly outside of live TV, you got to capture as much of that advertising as you can. And this deal, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense to me. And as a frequent traveler um, on Sundays, um, I, I'm down. I'm in for it. Tim? Yeah, I, look, I think there's a lot of different ways to play this, but I think that, that the message here is that advertisers are looking for non-conventional ways to get exposure and to find that engagement that, that really locks people in. The out-of-home, whether you're standing in, in an elevator and forced to watch the news or sitting in a hotel room, these are things that, that I mean, look, Reach TDP, they're in hotel rooms, they're in airports. Um, I think they're really well positioned here. All right. And a reminder, do not miss tonight's NFL kickoff. The Dallas Cowboys taking on the defending Super Bowl champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You can watch it live on NBC and Peacock. Coverage starts in just over an hour. Speaking of football, up next, some touchdown final trades. Stay tuned. In the spirit of tonight's NFL kickoff, it is time for some touchdown final trades. Tim Seymour, what do you say? Yeah, I think J&J is like that fullback that you can hand the ball off to and get, you know, crank out 80 to 90 yards. Mel, I know you like those kind of players. Again, that pullback of 6 or 7% is a buying opportunity in J&J. Love him. <laughs> Karen Feinerman. I'm, I'm more of the, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust kind of uh, investor. So <laughs> one of, you know, stick it out of the long term. And I find myself agreeing with Dan on Pfizer, I think it'll probably read poorly tomorrow with the Biden administration talking about negotiating prices. And if Pfizer trades down on that, I think it's a good opportunity to buy some more. Dan, I hope you save that. It's a rare occurrence. Karen agrees. I will, <laughs> and my mom will too. Um, hey, listen, you know, JetBlue, they notched up that kind of revenue decline. It just a little smidge. The stock acted really well. I think JetBlue's okay here. Guy. As you know, as you know, Mel, Dak is going to air it out tonight the way Zscaler aired it out with their earnings release. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer will start right now. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.